Hey, this is Andrew here. Um, I'm, I'm trying jumping in ahead of time on this podcast and doing a little introduction. I kind of liked it the last time. Um, my friend Bruce Small and I are going to be talking about internalized depression. And, um, you know, the, it's possible that some of this might be uh, triggering to people who have issues um, around uh, abuse, issues to do with uh, gender, orientation. You know, if, if any of these things are up for you and uh, you might find yourself kind of triggered by that, um, you know, give this a pass then. I'm Andrew McGregor, and with each installation on this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices, into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com slash podcasts. Or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes and download them all directly that way. So before we jump into this uh, next podcast, I want to talk briefly about a new project that I've been really getting some traction on. Uh, Myself and 77 other artists are collaboratively creating a tarot deck. And uh, we're going to uh, run this deck off and uh, sell it and hopefully be able to give a whole big pile of money to... Uh, fund cancer research and and basically kick cancer's butt. So you know we've got all the artists at this point, which is wonderful. I'm I'm really honored by the people who are involved, but uh, we certainly need cheering section. And there's a variety of help, uh, technologically and otherwise, that we could also use to help this really big project uh, get nailed down. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in checking out please go to thehermitslamp.com and click on Triumph of Life, um, which is in the, the headers at the top. Or if you're on Facebook and search for Triumph of Life, you will find the Facebook group and where you can join and uh, watch the deck be created and participate uh, by feedback or other levels of support, uh, which would be just wonderful. Um, so in the, as I said, this deck should be out by June. Um, at which point we're going to run off a thousand copies or maybe a bit more depending on interest and, uh, and fire those off. So stay in the loop. Um, please uh, check it out. And if it inspires you, I hope you'll support us uh, in this wonderful endeavor. Thanks. So welcome to the next installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I am here with my uh, good friend, Bruce Small. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of internalized oppression. You know, what is it from our culture, from our upbringing, from society, from history, from all these other things that have sort of gone before that we've somehow brought inside ourselves through our upbringing, through our our life, through our, you know, through our being raised and so on that are getting in our way, that are stopping us from relating to other people authentically and openly, you know, and, and how do we work on this in ourselves and especially as many people listen to this are probably working with other people, how do we help other people with these things? So, you know, probably probably not too many people listening know who you are, Bruce. So maybe you can give me the, the quick rundown on, you know, who you are and where you come from when it comes to this issue. Uh, the quickest rundown is that I come from a, a mixed background from... Um, engineering science to theoretical physics to working on uh, world change ideas uh, uh, in the Buckminster Fuller era um, to practicing in environmental health to uh, becoming uh, a peer counseling trainer to doing psychotherapy on the side to getting close to retirement age and deciding to do it full-time but then having to go back to school to be able to justify it <laughs> to the to the newly regulating Ontario government. So now I'm a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So tell me tell me about this idea. 
Tell me about this sort of internalized well, oppression. The, the internalized oppression is a, is a relatively simple idea, but let's just start with the word oppression. Most people have some feel for what the word oppression means. It means that one person is doing something bad to another, whether it's controlling, prejudicing, hurting, um, enslaving, uh, being, being nasty to anything, uh, looking down upon. So there's an upside and a downside. But in order for this, for any system, and you know, you talk about history and society and so on, our society is an incredibly complex system that is absolutely riddled with thousands of different kinds of oppression, where one person's up and the other person's down. And sometimes it's the same person. I can be down to someone else and up to someone else. Um, in order for that to work, a piece on each end has to be internalized in our heads and bodies. Uh, for example, the, if I was, uh, go back a couple hundred years, if I was a slave owner, I would have to, I as the slave owner would have to have in my mind some very firm conviction that, it, that what I was doing was right and that my slave was inferior to me and deserved to serve me without any reward. And if that system was to work, then the slave would also have to internalize the feeling that they were lesser than and even if they had a protest feeling inside, they would have to act like and, and entertain to some extent that the system might be right, mm -hmm. you know, that they are inferior in some way. Now, we know that's absolutely wrong, Yeah. but it ends up with someone in an inferior position believing that there's a reason for being inferior, and someone in a superior position believing there's a reason to be superior. They're both wrong. Feeling that the, you deserve to be treated as an inferior allows the system to continue. Believing that you're the superior you know, drives you to continue the system. And our challenge as people attending to, to other people and to ourselves is how do we rid ourselves of these errant notions that we're either inferior or superior and that any of this kind of maltreatment of other human beings is justified. Mm -hmm. So that's the basic story. Yeah, and you know, for me, I think it's really interesting, um, you know, people come and see me all the time, and so often they want to uh, establish a dynamic where, where they're, they're actually arriving and establishing this dynamic from the get-go. Well, obviously, you're the, you're the one who knows, right? Me. You know, I, you know, I'm in this position of power just because they're showing up looking for my advice and giving me money for it. And... For many people, it, you know, it's possible to, to really just kind of step away from that and be like, no, 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 I, that's not how this dynamics is going to work, you know? We're going to relate to each other as human beings mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, and where there is me controlling the dynamic, I'm going to acknowledge it and speak about it so that that person can accept it or not. But with other people where they're, where they're maybe not uh, willing or not able or maybe their internalized stuff prevents them from that, you know, you can see this continuous handing back of, you know, every time I try and hand them something, well, here's here's some power, here's your power, here's your choice here, mm -hmm. and they keep wanting to hand it back to me and hand it back to me, you know. And so I think that there are a lot of a lot of uh, interesting ways that working in this working with other people sort of brings this stuff to the surface if you're watching for it. Well, one of the concepts that might help for that is the difference between chronic and acute. You know, an acute situation in illness is that someone you know has a bad feeling and then it goes away you know, it rises and then it falls mm -hmm. so if someone presents with with a little bit of internalized depression but it doesn't run constantly then there's usually an opening as a therapist to say okay we're now in a position where you're really you know sounding pretty clear let's talk about how this system works but when they're not in that clear position you know, they're in a little bit of an acute phase, there's a flare of feeling bad about themselves, then you can help them get out of the acute phase before then dealing more directly. If they're in a chronic position, it means that they're just absolutely infused with this concept, and it runs constantly. And at that point, they're not going to be able to see clearly what's going on, and, and our challenge is to slowly but surely get them out of chronic into acute, and then right out completely. But, so the first challenge is getting someone out of chronic, and then the second challenge is having them become aware of their acute episodes, 
And so they begin to get the power to end the episodes. Mm-hmm. And so how much do you think, uh, when it comes to this idea, is it's about understanding, or is it more about um, behavioral response? If that's, if that's all, even the right all of the above, because the you know, the brain and the body are, are both involved. Um, what essentially happens is that wherever, whether we call it internalized oppression or whether we call it life scripts or whether we call it um, long-standing habits or behaviors, it doesn't really matter. You can use any any language you want. You know, people get into these things and they trigger, mm-hmm. and the, and the, their brains are are built around them built around these behaviors so that those behaviors are much more statistically likely to happen than other behaviors that, that they might have wanted or that you might hold out for them mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a therapist or as a helper of some sort. So um, just a basic fact is that human beings trigger into these habitual patterns which are often born out of misconceptions that they were taught when they were young some of which involve these up-down behaviors, and they internalize them. Okay. And we could, we could use internalize as a, as, a, as a great key to almost all the psychologies, because you know if you've taken in something that's wrong, and then you behave on the basis of that, it's going to screw things up. Exactly. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to be nice to people, or something's going to happen, or your life isn't going to go well. So no matter what we've internalized, whether it's a feeling about money, whether it's uh, our station in life, whether we feel smart or not smart, um, if we don't ever dig those up and take a look at them and throw out the ones that don't make any sense, then we're always going to be constructing behaviors that are based on stuff that doesn't, isn't true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, so for me, I find that uh, one of the best ways for me to learn about stuff is and to start to build up some skills working on it is basically to look for it and work on it myself you know because obviously you know we're all human and all of us have you know these kinds of challenges to one degree or another mm-hmm. so where would you where do you point people to start working on this if they want to work on themselves here well uh wherever it comes out mm-hmm. you know if you are helping someone else and some and you recognize some some internalization in them uh, you're, it's just practically axiomatic that, that it's going to trigger something in you. Mm-hmm. Because we, we, no matter how we pretend to be clear, and that this is just all clearly human relationship, some stuff is going to come up. Sure. So that's why people who help other people should also have sessions with their peers um, in order to work on that stuff. You write it down, bring it to the next session with somebody else, and then work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, if if, uh, if for example, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example of, of something that shocked me when I when I was doing uh, more practice during school, mm-hmm. and that was figuring out that uh, a number of, for example, I had a had women clients, and I'll just speak very generally, not to identify anyone, but women clients who had developed extreme anxieties, and. In the process of working on those anxieties, it became extremely clear to me that they they had been bullied, harassed, prejudiced against. Um, you know, they were victims of sexism par excellence in, in, in many, many ways. They were abused, sometimes physically. They were abused mentally and emotionally. And they became anxious as a result of that kind of treatment. And in all the course of that period of time, no one had told them that anxiety is a direct result of abuse. Hmm. And so they had only the feeling that they were strange, because all the abusers called them crazy. Yes. Okay, so, and basically the, the, the key to this, to counseling someone, some of these people, some of these people, because everyone's different, was just saying, look, I appreciate you are not crazy. And by the way, what you lived through was abuse. And abuse causes anxiety. Mm-hmm. So once we unravel this, you'll have a feeling that, A, you're, you're okay, you're good, you're not crazy. And some of these things people have been doing are horrendous. Yes. And that helps to reverse this tide of internalization. 
now what happens to you during the process of watching this? It's like, oh my God, you know, how many things have I ever been part of that have been disrespectful to other people that might have caused other people anxiety? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do I get anxious? And have there been any positions that I've been in that have been prejudicial to me that it would have caused that anxiety? And of course the answer is yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Endlessly, right? So the, the question is just do you take the opportunity, not in the session where, where you're helping someone else, but in another session where you're, where you're with a peer helping each other, do you mm-hmm. take, take the time to think about that, open it up, and explore it, and chuck some of the stuff that doesn't make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, as, as certainly as you know, and certainly probably as many people know, I am uh, engaged in the activity of raising little human beings, you know, and uh, one of my uh, one of my sort of uh, central notions about raising these people is that I do not want to crush them or squash them or take away their 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 fire and their power, even though I need to guide and shape them and convince them to put on their snow pants when it's minus 50 you know and so it's it's fascinating to sort of see all that stuff come up because um, you know number one there there are certain times where it's just frustrating because well you know they get really mad and start just shrieking at me and whatever and I'm just like alright guys whatever you do what you're going to do but um, but on the other hand it also reflects back to you know I was raised in a different generation where there were different ideas and different accepted notions of what parenting was like. And, you know, to sort of see those impulses that, that mirror, well, when I was a child, this is what was done, and my impulse is to repeat that. It's a great opportunity to look at that and say, okay, wait a second. That's not how I want to treat people. You know, that's not how I want to be. And yet it, it kind of flows back, right? This sort of. Well, dig down right to the bottom of it. For example, can we ask the question, are adults superior to children? And, you know, most parents, I think this, well, it's hard to make such generalizations, but many parents in some way feel that they're more competent, more responsible, more this, more that, smarter than their kids. Yeah. But there's something about being a child which is so human yeah. that it is not different from being an adult human. That you know that this is that the child has a right to exist. They do exist every second of the day. So do we. Mm-hmm. You know they have feelings. We have feelings. They have not has had as much experience in controlling and shaping their feelings as yep. we have. But then again, many of us are learning well well into our older ages. Sure. Um, why would we look down upon this being that happens to be smaller, that happens to be at a different stage of development? And if if we yes. They need protection, sometimes guidance. They need someone else to deal with this stupid money system, provide food, mm-hmm. care, shelter, the whole bit. But that does not in any way make them inferior. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we just had that at the root of our thoughts, would it modify just our little day-to-day actions with them? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have a suspicion that it would make a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, um, you know, I mean, when it comes to raising kids and, and also when it comes to, to dealing with other people, you know, assuming that they have some wisdom or that they have notions about what they want and need that are true and valid, you know, starting from that place where we're not starting with dismissing their situation... Oh, you're just anxious. Oh, you're, you know, whatever. You don't know, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, this morning, um, you know, this is kind of unfortunate that, uh, that that one of them got sort of down and around and down the street a ways before they realized they were underdressed for how warm it was or how cold it was, as the case may be. Okay. But at the same time, they, uh, you know, they came back. I gave them the sweater. They put it on, you know. Probably they won't listen any better tomorrow, but they're they're empowered to make their own decisions about things and to learn about the consequences of it too. Because I think this notion of um, avoiding consequences, which sometimes comes into a lot of these scripts, right? I'm going to protect you from something. I'm going to protect you from yourself, from the world, from 
from learning how to do everything. Yeah, from being an autonomous, you know, self-motivated human being yeah. who who's in love with the world and only does things that they like, you know? Yeah. You can tell a person they're going to get cold, but getting cold, you know, it's, it's a very, very stark confirmation of a consequence. Yeah. If they don't like being cold, they'll come back. If they don't mind being cold, they'll keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that with working with people, it's... Uh, it's important to me anyway to to uh, respect people's ability to make their own decisions and whether whether they're you know the the idea of rightness doesn't even entirely enter into it right you know exactly. I'm like you know when, like what well, I spent a lot of time discussing relationships with people as, as most people you know who, who do what I do you know spend time doing that and I'm always like look I'm gonna tell you what I what what I see and think I'm gonna you know, we're gonna have a conversation. I'm like, and then you're gonna leave, and your heart and you gotta sort it out, you know. And then you'll do whatever you you do, and you know, and and then sometimes they they make a change, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, and you know, sort of welcoming them back to continue the conversation, I think, is also a, an important part of um, not not propagating the oppression, you know, like not saying to people, well, you didn't listen to me, therefore. I don't want to work with you anymore, you know? Yeah, that's really going to push the therapeutic relationship on, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. Well, again, the same question applies. You know, if if I have a client, do I look upon them a little bit as adults used to look on children? You know, yeah. are they needing of development that I've already got? Are they inferior at dealing with emotions? Are they this or that? You know, if... The minute I start looking down upon them as therapist down to client, I have blown that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the, what is what is going to assist someone when they come to you for help is being treated like a full-fledged human being. Yeah. You know, no matter what's happening to them. You know, and and what a rare gift, right? How often how often in most people's lives do they get to be a full person with somebody else, right? Most of us have grown up with being dismissed, discounted, you know, prejudiced against, looked down upon in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, it's a gift, and, and I guess we're fortunate. You know, there's very few people who can claim as a therapist to be cleaned off and to be really clear. So a lot of junk is going back and forth no matter what. And the, the psychologists call it transference and countertransference. We don't need words that are that many syllables. but. You know, essentially, we've all got material, we're throwing it back and forth at each other. If you've got enough slack to remember that as much as you possibly can, you treat this person with the, the, the greatest of respect, and you look at them and find the best of their qualities, and help to, to not only point them out, but, but to be really excited by those, mm-hmm. um, then yes, it will feel very unusual for the client. And anything that feels very unusual for the client will help open them up and move them on. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I'm curious, in what ways might you speak about this overtly with people? Absolutely. You know, the, the more explicit you can get, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and even about your own role, the, the role of the person helping doesn't have to be mysterious. You know, my role is to challenge some of the things... For example, I might say to some people, my role is to challenge some of the things that, that you seem to be relying on that don't seem to be true. For example, sometimes you think of yourself as less smart than other people. I don't see that. When I'm talking with you, I see an incredible kind of a brightness in, in ways that you know, many other people have never shown. And those kinds of things, they have to be totally honest, but those things will help to undo the internalization. Now, there's one piece that, that, that we haven't yet discussed that, that, that I think is really important, that the same programming that causes the internalization adds one more rule in the internalization. Yeah. And that says, never challenge this programming. So it's, and this is something I was thinking yesterday. It, it, uh, I first read about this thing in the 1960s. R.D. Lang was a kind of considered a renegade psychiatrist. He wrote a lovely book called Knots, which describes how people drive each other crazy by, by, by saying, 
um, I'm going to tell you to do this, and I'm going to tell you never to talk back to me, but I never want you to remember that I told you that you should never talk to back, back to me. I think you, know, you must think that it's just an absolute rule. Mm. And, and this, this never undo my programming rule is partly what makes it difficult people for, for people to just step out of it. Mm-hmm. So just realizing that you're programming, that you've been programmed, is not quite enough. That you've been programmed not to challenge your programming is the, is the realization you need to untie the biggest knot. Mm-hmm. And once you, once you realize that someone said, I want to bind you up so totally that you'll never question my authority to have power over you, and that you'll never question that you're inferior to me, that's just a given. Once you realize that they programmed that additional line, then up comes you know, a very natural anger and resentment, which will help get you out of this crap. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that having feelings about this stuff, you know, either either as being triggered or in relationship to it, you know, I think is uh, is important, is real, right? And is Absolutely. what what's going to move us through, you know? A lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of anger or other thing, other feelings, but why shouldn't we be angry at at stuff that's, you know, unjust, unfair, uh, you know, whether it's deliberate or not, or whether it's just sort of running on autopilot from the other person, it doesn't matter at all. But the fact that we have been subjugated to these things, you know, I think it's important to to get moving and to, to let those feelings flow around there, right? Well, there's two reasons and one thing to remember. One, one, one is that the the, the whole set of emotions that we have are part of our whole healing mechanism, so it's very important that we have access to them. But, that said, there are several versions of them. For example, you can have chronic anger, low, simmering anger that's always there, that people can always hear and is as an edge in your voice, and it dictates how you deal with everybody and how you talk about everybody. Or you can have spiked anger. For example, suddenly you see a truck coming towards you and you're at an intersection walking across, and you say, that son of a bitch, you know, he's trying to kill me. Yeah. And then you jump out of the way. And that anger goes up, causes action, and then goes down. The chronic simmering anger is more likely programmed. You know, this is, you know, A, I want to impress you. B, I know you're going to be pissed, but you're going to be pissed in a way that is so ineffective. Yes. That it just destroys you and not me. Uh-huh. And that's, that's, so I'm suspicious whenever we see emotions that are that seem to ride someone chronically mm. there's no there's no up or down in it or there's, there's no or chronically sad or, or or chronically so up and buoyant and happy that everything is fine yes um, something has been programmed in some of those mm-hmm. but having a natural and what once you people get, get get help people out of that chronic version then they begin to explore um, acute lows acute highs and they begin to exercise their full range. And also they realize they can have calms and quiets where I don't have a whole great big huge flow of emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes a lot more... And then they begin to realize, oh, you know, I'm an author of my emotions as well. So I can choose that when I can enhance a high or minimize a low or, or seek a high and seek a low. Mm-hmm. You know, exercise alone when I want to think about someone who's been close to me who died or something like mm-hmm. that. But so, so the the emotions are an integral part. But we 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 need to again sort of what's programmed and what's not programmed. Mm-hmm. So, I'm wondering uh, what what tools, in a kind of brief way, might you might you work with somebody around this stuff. Because most of the people who, many of the people who, who probably listen to this are more likely to see somebody once or maybe twice than to see people over a prolonged period of time. Or, you know, perhaps they're just people in their lives or whatever, right? Like, what are, what, what do you what do you see as sort of the more, um, you know, sort of you know, brief or, or sort of focused things that you might kind of do around this with people? I think... Again, I'm going to give you multiple answers. Um, of long-term work works better. Yep. 
um, whether it's with a therapist or not. I encourage people who would, who would prefer to work without money in the background to get into a peer counseling network, and I've created one for that, um, where you can, at some period, every couple of weeks or whatever, spend time with someone, clean something off, and that becomes a habit that you carry for a lifetime. You know, being able to, to deal with everything that happens to you from, from day to day and clear off the negative emotions around it equips you for a better life. If you let it accumulate and you only go see someone when something's really flaring and then you only stay long enough just to clean that little bit off, you'll still accumulate crap from all the other things that are happening. Yeah, happen. and then you'll be back when it gets acute yeah. again. Yeah, but given that, you know, what, what, can, what can you teach people to do and so that they can get a, a, a quick principle and use it on their own to do all the work? Um, again, I would look at the difference between the, that second programming line, which says, I forbid you from challenging this programming, and I want you to internalize that, and forget that I told you to, to never challenge your programming. So there's three lines there. When you do challenge your programming, expect fear to come up, because someone has essentially said something bad will happen to you if you challenge any of this. Yeah. So expect fear to come up. And I'll give you a, a concrete example. You're interviewing me. I'm letting out some of my clearest ideas about how I figure out human beings work. And in the process, I'm feeling fear about how people re will receive those ideas because they're not conventional. Mm. And so I'm actually shaking. So that shaking is my indication that I'm doing something really right, that I'm challenging the program of keeping silent about what I think is clear when other people's ideas are mud. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes back decades, you know, when, when teachers would spout absolute nonsense. And I was constrained by parents and teachers never to speak up. And of course I violated that, got into trouble, felt fear, um, and that has dogged me all my life. But that if, they, if you just get used to the fact that the fear that comes up when you challenge something can be reinterpreted as a rush from doing the right thing, rather than as a penalty to keep you back in your place, then you can undo anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it takes a while to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of, the, one of my favorite things that, uh, that you've said, you know, because we've known each other a long time, right? There are two things that... That I, that I attribute to you. Uh, one is, uh, who says that life has to be comfortable, right? Yeah. And that getting used to being in some sense of discomfort around your circumstance yeah. is, you know, where, uh, where, the, where the good stuff is going to be, probably. You know, not, not always, obviously, but, you know, and there's, a, there's a, a blog writer who I really like named Seth Godin, and you know, he, I was listening to an interview with him, and he was basically saying, if I'm not afraid that releasing this idea will ruin my reputation, then maybe I'm not working hard enough at being honest, you yes. know? And, and so I really, really appreciate yeah. that, you know? And, and just as our, our, in our conversation here. And, and also, the, the other thing is, is that um, when people are weird, they're running their script, you know? When something doesn't make sense, that is a, a nice big red flag to say, wait a second, somebody's running a script, somebody's internalized oppression is coming out, something has happened that has challenged the, the up-down relationship or, you know, whatever's going on in this situation, and now it's time to pay attention, right? And as you say, maybe we take that to our, our peer network or, you know, our, our own journal or cards or whatever we're doing, right? You know, we, we can take that into a process to start to deconstruct it. Because the more you smell it, the more you see it, then the more it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, there's something I don't want anything to do with, or here's something where I should maybe maybe I'll challenge this with this yeah. particular person, yeah. um, or not, right? Depending on the relationship and and all those things. Well, I also use it as a measure in in a counseling session that that uh, I would bet from my own experience that that many 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 counselors will go through long periods of time in sessions where they have ideas that they, they might wish to convey or <clears throat> challenges, questions, um, praises, 
whatever that they might think of conveying to their client, but they hold back on it because they're afraid, oh, they're too delicate, they're too this, too they're that, it just might not work, I might look silly, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I know that I'm working really hard in a session when I start start feeling that that shakiness, that fear, mm-hmm. that oh, you know, have I done something too bold here? Well, excuse me, this is exactly when it was required to be bold. Yes. Yeah, you know, this is. <clears throat> they're begging for you to be bold. Mm-hmm. And if I can't move out of my stuff in order to help them, how the hell are they supposed to know how to move out of their stuff? Yeah. It just it's 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 got to be a live leading session in order for that to work. So, you know, I, I think that uh, learning to experiment with this stuff too, you know, I mean, for me, the the one of the biggest, like, you know, breaking my own oppression stuff is um, A, noticing when it really is a big deal and B, noticing that most of the time it's not actually a big deal at all. You know, and obviously that's going to vary from person to person. You know, but for me, there there are these things where we, where I hype them up. You know, into into great big stories about stuff, and and then I don't move on them, right? You know, and and when I notice that I'm creating some like big narrative around a change that I want to make, you know, I I was, um, you know, I, I I just released a book. I've got, you know, three other books that I'm writing right now, and. Somebody, somebody posted this thing somewhere and they were talking about how hard it is to write books. And, and I just, I read it and immediately I was like, what if it just wasn't? What if it was just like, just something you did? What if it's just something that I do? And I don't need to like have these big stories about what's going on and why all oh, book is so hard and whatever. And not to say that it's nothing to, to write stuff or to do things, but you know, that, that act of deconstructing it from something that's too big for me to accomplish into, oh, you know, what if it's just something that I do then, you know? And I think that some of these internalized stories are a variety of ways in which we're sort of taught not to move or to stand out or to garner attention, you know? It's that, well, you know, you just stay in your place and do your thing, right? You stay in your lane, you know? Well, well, think what's happened with the Internet. Suddenly the Internet has provided us a vehicle so that absolutely everybody can write a book. It doesn't cost anything. Literally nothing but time. Yeah. What happened to all of the internalized oppression we had about authors being experts and only the very select authors will get a select publisher to publish one of these books and only if it sells will you ever get anything and that that separates them from the vast masses of people who have nothing to say and nothing to think about other than reading these experts. That's an entire system of internalized oppression that you have to overcome when someone says, oh yeah, you you can write a book, it's not going to cost you anything. you know, a number of people might read it. It'll be around forever, so there'll be a lot of opportunity for people to pick it up someday. But that 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 challenges the very thing that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, the, even the word book. Oh my God, book! You know, book is something they had in school. You know, yeah, it's going to be in a library. But you know? but you know, we should have challenged the word book a long time ago because some of the books that we read in school were just absolute crap. You know, uh, ethnocentric history or, or, you know, sexist history, or all kinds of stuff, you know, um, stories that didn't reflect the full, the full um, variety and, and diversity in our population mm-hmm. uh, of genders and, and orientations and all these things. They were all crap, yet we got this idea that the word book was something very special. Yeah. So how could we be that special just to be the author? Well, it's it's one of those interesting sort of dichotomies, right? Now there's, you know, people go to Wikipedia and people joke about Wikipedia being wrong, right? Or being yeah. biased or, you know, limited, mm-hmm. right? But what did, what did we do growing up? We went to the encyclopedia, right? We went to whatever, and that was our answer because... It was the only answer. It was the only answer. Maybe, maybe you're lucky and you had two... Yeah. You could check two different, you know, Britannia and, you know, one of the other ones, right? see what was different, but they're always kind of the same, you know? Well, I documented this. You, you know that I have a book out on Amazon called Taken In, which talks about internalized depression. And, and one of the things I confess in the book was that I held off publishing the book because there's a hierarchy in the psychological profession. Yep. And I'm not at the top of it. 
So the people at the top were supposed to write the books. But I didn't like the books, the books that they were writing. Yeah. It didn't help my clients, so I wrote one. Mm-hmm. But all during the publishing of that, I struggled with, you know, the, is this going to be considered as an inferior product by the more credentialed people in the field? Yeah. And the answer is, I shouldn't care. You know, this is my experience, and I'm sharing it with my clients for the purposes of helping them, mm-hmm. or for whatever purpose. Yeah. For practice writing a book, whatever. Yeah. But but everything we do that challenges that requires us to break down some of that programming. Yeah. I, I found myself avoiding hitting the publish button. You know, I was like, just sitting there. I'm like, oh, maybe I should proof it again. Maybe I should, you know, what do I, you know, and you just. Yeah, you start running these ideas around yeah. this stuff, and 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 at a certain point, you just got to step into it, you know, yeah. and or at a certain point, go and talk to somebody else about it, right? Yeah, and get that assistance. One thing we haven't discussed, and maybe it's a key to some of this, is is that it's a lot easier for if you were thinking of your clients or yourself, and you're thinking, oh my God, what what horrendous structure of internalized programming do I have to deal with? Where do I start? What do I do with it? How do I accomplish it? Well, it's not that difficult. There's usually something in someone's life that they've had to hurdle because of the circumstances. For example, um, if someone realizes at, at whatever age that they're not heterosexual, that they might have attractions to another gender, or that they might have feelings of being a different gender, or anything like that, those are, so, those are things that become so urgent that they cannot be ignored, and someone is forced to work through all the internalized depression. Because, for example, when I discovered that I was bisexual, I had to work through... Uh, I was actually fortunate that I, hadn't, that I didn't figure it out for a long, long time, because I didn't internalize all the bad messages about it. Right. But once I did realize that I was in that category, then I had to face the fact that realize that other people didn't, there were other people who didn't like that category. I think, oh my goodness, you know, how do I work through this? How do I feel good about myself even if someone else doesn't feel good about me? And usually there's something big in your life, whether, whatever it is. Um, if you break through in that one area, it makes the other areas seem really simple. Mm-hmm. So once, once you've had to undo a big piece of programming, then okay, you know, let's clean off another thing in this next session. No big deal. Yeah. But but if you've never cleaned anything off, there'd be that first hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where you know looking at uh, looking at where your desire is, right? Yeah. Where where you know not necessarily sexual desire, but in any way, right? You know, mm-hmm. where is where is your desire at odds, and where is there that tension? And that's where you're going to be able to work first, probably, or easier? Well, yes or no. Um, sometimes you, for someone, for example, presents with a major anxiety or, 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 or some big, big, huge issue, and it's like it just feels too complex. It's, it's all knotted together, and you don't know where to, what to pull and where to start, and if you do start and pull a little too hard, then it flares. Sometimes just going off the trail a little bit to something that's easier. Mm. You know, let's play with a simple thing to undo. And then you get to feel, oh, well, undoing it isn't that difficult. Mm. So if I can do that one simply, then I can do the edge of this one simply. Right. And then I can move farther into that one and do it, it simply. Uh-huh. But it, it's, it's a matter of finding something that you can get your teeth onto and get a victory out of. Mm. Because if I, if I start, like, this is a big mass of programming, it'll take us three years to do it, and, and, and every session you'll not feel like you're making any progress, that's the end of it. Right. Yes. If I can say, hey, you know, let's let's at least deal with what happened yesterday and how you feel about this, mm-hmm. um, and get a victory over it, then it's like, hey, I did something today. Right. You know, if I can accomplish that, maybe gonna, I can accomplish some of this deeper stuff. So building in the, the victories makes a difference. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? You gotta gauge gauge what how much work you can do. The other thing that I, I think you've probably found, and, and uh, whether it's internalized depression or whatever other issue, it doesn't matter. I have to have fun with my clients. Mm. You know, I want them to, to enjoy being with me. Yes. 
you know, um, and it doesn't mean that they'll never cry or that they won't feel sad or they won't convey their anxieties or anything like that. It means that we take every single opportunity to get a piece of joy out of it. You know, we laugh about a whole bunch of stuff, we, you know, poke at it and joke about it and, and try to do light things as well as heavy things. And, you know, that is the reward. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, it creates a human relationship. Yes. The human relationship is the contradiction to most of this crap. Mm -hmm. For example, if a privileged white person develops a relationship with a prejudiced against person of color and realizes that they're a human being, it tears apart this stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Just it just it just melts. Yeah. <clears throat> and then suddenly it's like, oh my God, if if this person's a human being, then the generalization that I carried for my life was wrong. Mm-hmm. So I have to undo the generalization, and then I look at everything differently, and then I treat everyone differently. Yeah, that's that's where finding a, a sort of a human connection can really make all the difference, right? I remember when I was uh, fifteen, maybe. You know, I was just getting interested in in alternative culture. Uh, I just discovered punk rock and sort of all that kind of alternative stuff. And, you know, and I was sort of... uh, And I just moved from one city to another and I was kind of looking looking to rebuild my identity in a way that felt more authentic. Mm -hmm. And and as such, I was, uh, you know, meeting all these new people and, you know... uh, this, there, there's sort of like these people that I met, you know, some of whom were really great, and some of whom were kind of, you know, interesting but but problematic. And I remember this this one guy had lent me this uh, this CD of, of music that was it wasn't like uh, like white supremacist hate kind of stuff, but it was full of like racial jokes and making fun of all these different, you know, like and, and it was meant to be sort of like I mean. I'm assuming that it was meant to be amusing, right? But I remember, I remember sort of like listening to it in my Walkman as I was walking around and walking into this place where I had, um, where I was doing a co-op placement, right? And, and walking up to the to the Japanese guy who ran the place, who was really super nice and super supportive, and like stopping the Walkman and then looking at it and looking at him and thinking, just throwing it in the garbage and being like, that, I can't have anything to do with this. This doesn't make any sense to me, because that person had, you know. As you say, there was such a, a dynamic human relationship, and you know it, it wasn't. It just didn't fit. You know, it was that that sort of um, juxtaposition of it really highlighted how clearly it was. You know, and and the person who had given it to me was kind of you know further on the other side where they were you know mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know whatever became of them, but like you know they were they were certainly well onto that kind of discriminatory and, and maybe moving towards being ever more racist kind of tracked, at least at that time, you know? Well, it raises a couple of things. Um, we shouldn't have to be presented with an experience of authenticity before we challenge our supremacist programs. You know, how much... And, and this is this is... A project that I've embarked upon. You know, the, the recently the Premier of Ontario announced that that she wants to create an environment where that will end the misogyny, uh, that will that will end the prejudice against women, that will end maltreatment and and so on of women. But and so far, a lot of the attention is how do we support the women who have been maltreated so that they can, for example, recover from the anxieties that are engendered by prejudice. But who's treating the men? Mm-hmm. Who, who is who is focusing on the people who have been having privilege, who have been exercising prejudice, who have been exercising violence, and so on? You know, we need to tear that stuff apart, and and somebody needs to work with people on that, but not by accident. You know, we need to plant the seed that there's something that needs rebuilding, mm-hmm. and and that you can't just sit there in comfort and privilege, and and in prejudice, and wait for the accident of a of a of a real relationship to come along to make you question it. Like, oh my goodness, you know, my supremacy isn't really perfect, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, we need some some active um, 
some drive by people who have been in privileged positions to undo their own programming. And, and I haven't figured out what it's going to take to do that, but we need that, mm -hmm. you know, so that it's proactive rather than reactive. Because if, if it's just, a, oh, well, I happen to have a good friend who turned out to be gay, so now I'm, I'm not quite as much of a homophobe, that's not enough. Yeah. You know, we need to say, look, I don't know anybody who's gay, but I know that I was programmed about it. Mm -hmm. I, I ought to clean that off. Yeah. I want to be able to have full, authentic relationships with everybody that I yeah. feel like having, who I like in my life, irrespective of any of the factors. Yeah. Now, is this the new smoking? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody should be polluting each other's environment with smoke. How about nobody should be polluting each other's environment with programming? Mm -hmm. You know, why don't we work on that? Yeah. But that's something that, that, that I can put out the call and, and help people discuss it and then hope that you know some people will be willing to work on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it. And it's not... I think people despair about it being workable. Mm -hmm. And this came up on the net today. There was a discussion about people who were, for example, highly religious and who insist on... You know, there's a number of, of laws in various states in the U.S., and the people who are looking at that from the other side are saying, boy, these people are hard to deal with. I don't know how I'll ever change their minds. You know, they're so entrenched, they're so this, they're so that. Well, hell, it's just a piece of programming. You know, mm -hmm. the same, the same as, as sexism is a piece of programming. You know, we know how to undo programs. It's not that damn difficult. Yeah. But if we look at it as, as an unsolvable problem, well, a person of privilege will never want to change. Well, that's not true. Yeah. You know, there's many, many, many advantages to a person of, person of privilege undoing the program because suddenly they get their own humanity back mm -hmm. and then they get access to the, the, the rest of the entire world that they would have otherwise looked down upon. Yeah. Huge, huge benefits. Well, and that, that we can never change it is, is one of those underlying lines of code, right? That's right. You yeah, can, you can never change this. Yes. I will behave in a way that will convince you that I will never change. That's right. So you will acquiesce to my will. Yeah, and it's just a piece of intimidation. It does not have to be heated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, you can reframe it and, and interpret it as a call for help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if people want to come and hang out with you on online or wherever... Where where should they where should they look? Uh, probably Facebook. You'll find me. Um, okay. There's either Bruce Small or Bruce Small Therapist, mm -hmm. and that will lead to coordinates or BruceSmall.com. Mm -hmm. That's got all the coordinates. And glad to hear from anybody. It also leads through to the peer counseling network if people want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And so is, I'm, rel I'm Googleable. And is that a, is the peer counseling network is currently uh, Toronto and greater area thing? It's, uh, it's it's concentrated right now in Toronto and greater area, but there's nothing preventing people from joining from anywhere and doing Skype with people. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Thanks for being on. It's been a great pleasure. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you're following this, you might notice that I'm starting to branch out uh, further and further from uh, just reading tarot and into um, you know other people and topics that I think are fascinating. Uh, I'd really be interested in hearing what you think, and if you have uh, suggestions or uh, ideas about uh, what kinds of guests and what kinds of topics uh, you'd be interested in hearing, um, let me know, all right? Uh, you go to thehermitslamp.com and hit contact and send me an email, uh, you know, or wherever else we're connected, you can let me know that way. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.